Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast. We call it that because everybody took all the good recruiting-related names, and we went for the obvious uh, search engine play. This is Bud Elliott, your national recruiting analyst, and I'm joined today by Richard Johnson. Hey, yo. I am uh, coming to you from college football's greatest city, New York City. It is raining. Um, besides that, not much to speak of. It is. Uh, we are in the dead of the offseason. Interesting spike last week, but besides that, not really much going on. Have you uh, have y'all been getting a lot of rain up there, or, or just uh, today? No, what we've been getting is heat. Like I did not leave Florida for it to be ninety six degrees in New York City, man. New York City in Manhattan, heat is uh, it is akin to uh, to a nice Gainesville summer. I'll tell you that. I looked at our county's uh, rainfall chart, and uh, so far in June we have fourteen inches, and in January through May we had seven. So it, it, it's been a really wet. <laughs> Uh, two weeks here down in Southwest Florida. Absolutely. Any uh, Anybody paying attention to uh, college baseball would know that it's been uh, been raining like hell up there. Yeah, I, I, and uh, and a lot of the satellite camps the coaches have been having down here have been pretty rainy as well. I, I don't know how much, uh, how much good work they're getting done on those. Um, today's topic is going to be which coach do you think is best positioned to win his first national title? And we came up with that because looking around the college ball landscape, there are only four coaches who, who are still actively coaching who have a national title. That would be Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Jimbo Fisher, and Dabo Swinney, who won his last year. But first, we have a little bit of recruiting news to get to. Uh, last week, Justin Fields, five-star quarterback out of Georgia, decommitted from Penn State. I think this was a uh, – uh, well, I, I don't think anybody who follows this was, was shocked. The kid took his time with it, made sure he really wanted to do it, and it wasn't a decision that he came to um, w- without some thought. And it looks like his new top group of schools, is, and he hasn't announced this, but based on where he's visiting and based on some feedback from coaches at these schools and sources, uh, would be in some order Georgia, Auburn, Florida State, and Florida. He is currently uh, visiting Florida State. He visited Georgia and Auburn. Uh, earlier this week, and I believe he's going to hit Florida on the way back from the IMG 7-on-7 national tournament down here at Bradenton. If you Google Maps it, his route makes a lot of sense and kind of nice to be able to hit all four of those schools. And that's something we're going to be following. I wrote about that in the uh, quarterback dominoes piece that Morgan uh, Moriarty and I uh, have co-bylined on SB Nation Recruiting, so you can go check that out in our latest uh, June update. I don't know where he's going. Uh, there's a lot of factors that are going to go into that, and I discussed several of those in that piece, so, uh, so go check it out. But Justin Fields, uh, probably the top uncommitted player in the country right now. I was going to ask, is this like, do you think this is probably the most optimum time to decommit for an athlete like this? Like, is there, you know, it's a verbal offering, so you can pull the plug whenever, obviously. But as far as, you know, you still have kind of the camp circuit to go through at least. You've got the opening, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, he's not in the thick of his senior season. And, you know, it's not January where things become rushed because it's that last kind of last uh, sprint to signing day. Is this about the right time to decommit if you're going to decommit and, and make a different decision? Richard, I, th- I think that's a great observation. That you, you really get to go through the camp circuit, which means you actually get to work hands-on with some of the coaches. I, I know Florida State today actually expects him to throw at their camp. He's not just coming to sit in a golf cart and watch. So you're going to get to 
potentially work with your future coaches at, at these various camps if you time it up right. That's really big. You get to talk to a lot of the players who are still on campus because most of them don't go home for summer. Most of them stay up there, continue to work out, and uh, you know maybe do some summer internships, summer classes, that type of thing. So you get a good feel for that. You get to be around other commitments and other recruits and, and see what their feelings are on the matter, and you also get to have the fall if you want uh, before making your decision. Specifically for Fields, he's a really good baseball player. So Justin probably didn't have a whole lot of time to take a bunch of visits in spring uh, between baseball and a seven-on schedule, or you know, seven-on-seven schedule. So now it is really an optimal time for him to do that. I, I think that does have something to do with why he decided to do it then. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a good point, Bud. And uh, you know, kind of from there, kind of want to transition into this coaching ranks or this coaching ranks kind of discussion because I think that one of the things that college football is very interesting in is just like a stunning lack of parity. Like, you know, you want to you know think that college football is so wide open because there's so many teams, but there's been what is it two first-time national champions in my lifetime since 1993. Um, and so when I hear that, you know, only four coaches are still around that have won national championships, it, I think on its face, it's really stunning and really surprising. But then when you really dig into it, it's, it's really not, it's really not. And most of the problem here is that you have two kind of national powers who have been down for about 15 years or, or, or 10 years in USC and Texas, right? West of the Mississippi. And you have two of the best coaches of all time in Nick Saban and Urban Meyer who have won multiple titles at different schools now. Um, And you have two, I think, other really good coaches and program managers in Jimbo Fisher and Dabber Swinney. If those are your three and four, that does make it sort of, they kind of suck up all the titles. And and, uh, there's not a whole lot of opportunity for others to win them. Uh, But we came up with a list of, I think, 16 coaches who, if you're going to discuss who might be the next to win a national title, you have to consider them a little bit. And we can kind of jump into this here, uh, debate the merits, and then at the end, I think we're going to give a top five of who we think is most likely uh, to win their first title. Yeah, well, I think that you know when we kind of started thinking about this, um, I think whenever this discussion is had, and you hit on it, um, by mentioning Meyer and Saban and this like vacuuming up of just national titles all over the place – like you when when you consider any of these guys to say because on his face Jim Harbaugh who we will talk about great coach right Michigan great program like but is his opportunity to win one lessened you know is is his percentage uh does his percentage take a hit or take a dip because he's got to every year play Ohio State like if you're in the SEC you're going to have to beat Alabama you might have to beat him twice and so that you might have to beat him three times if, you know, if you make it to the playoff and they do too, who knows? So it becomes this thing of, of where is your opportunity and, and where is the lane to get to a national title? Exactly right. I, I think a lot of this is sort of a, a triumvirate of coaching ability, program ability, and then access, which is oftentimes the path of least resistance. So you, you can, And you have to balance those factors. For instance, can you get there, but then once you get there, do you have the actual talent to win? And I know that'll come up with one of the coaches that that we'll talk about. Uh, Let's let's lead it off here with James Franklin, who did an awesome job at Vanderbilt, ended up winning the Big Ten last year. Uh, Recruiting seems to be getting better and better. Uh, I know they just lost Justin Fields, and 
Micah Parsons uh, a couple months ago, and Penn State fans are not real happy about those, but things are generally trending up in, in the right direction. How would you handicap Franklin's chance at winning a title in the near future? James Franklin, I think, is interesting when you look at this because James Franklin's going to obviously have to go through uh, have to go through Michigan and Ohio State. I think Ohio State is what it is, and you know they're recruiting at a at a really really high level right now, an elite level, and, and hell, they may unseat Alabama um, as far as the number one class goes. We'll see. That obviously remains to be seen. Um, but I think once Michigan gets back. Um, and we do think Harbaugh will kind of bring them back relatively soon, it's going to be a lot harder for Penn State to win a national title um, or even a Big Ten title. I think that when you see teams that kind of relatively come out of nowhere vis-a-vis like an Oregon a couple of years ago, um, they do it because a power is down. Like USC wasn't really anything when Oregon was was coming up and coming through and, and getting to the national championship game. Uh, Penn State obviously had a lot of success last year with a really good Ohio State and a really good Michigan. But is that sustainable? Is that tenable? Is that something that you should bet on going forward if both of those teams are strong? I think that's my reservation with this as well. And it's kind of like um, you know, pick, pick a year where a sport – maybe it's almost like Western Conference basketball. Right, there have been years where the third third best team in the West was probably better than the best team in the East from the NBA. Um, maybe not super recently, but certainly it's happened. Um, Penn State is probably the number three program in the East. I don't know if the gap is absolutely huge between them and Michigan, but it's just tough. I, I think you're right. They they have to most likely have a year where one one or the other of Michigan and Ohio state are down and then they still have to beat the other one and avoid upsets that that's tough. But I, I think you have to give the guy credit for very quickly flipping that program around and also for you know, instilling the confidence in his players and going out and hiring the right coordinator in Joe Moorhead, their, their offense improved a, a bunch last year. I think a lot of it was because of the schematic changes having uh, uh what's his name at running back also doesn't hurt uh, total stud uh barkley yeah yeah saquon can he recruit enough to to get over the hump but i guess we'll see that that'll be an interesting one when it comes for our top five yeah and also i think that another thing here it's and it's it's not a massive deal but when you talk about potential upsetters you know you you know there's the northwesterns of the world um you know a minnesota under pj fleck uh, maybe in Iowa, like though the the potential suitors for an upset in the Big Ten may be a little bit stronger than like a Kansas, Iowa State, or you know maybe a I don't want to say Vanderbilt, but maybe you know a, a Mississippi State or a South Carolina or something like that from a different conference. It's it's what is your biggest opportunity to get in the lane to get to a title game? Exactly right. Uh, next one here, we're going in alphabetical order. Is Mike Gundy? What do you have on Gundy? I like Mike Gundy, um, if nothing else, because he's gotten to the doorstep before. Um, obviously, that was with a down Texas, but you know, you, you still got to beat Oklahoma in Bedlam. Like that's a that's a hell of a game. Um, I do think that the addition of the conference championship game. What is that going to do to things? Um, obviously, they moved. I don't know if you saw this, but but they moved Bedlam earlier in the year. 
As far as Mike Gundy's concerned, um, I think Gundy, because he's gotten to the mountaintop before, um, I think you know he can get there. Um, the big thing with Gundy is Big 12 championship game. That is another game against probably a pretty good football team. Um, so, But I think Oklahoma State then does also benefit by the fact that they moved Bedlam back in the schedule. Bedlam is now in October. Um, so there won't be this back-to-back thing where they play Thanksgiving weekend, uh, Bedlam, and then the, literally the next weekend they play Oklahoma again. Um, so maybe you'd have like a body blow double theory there if they got Oklahoma the first time but couldn't get them the second go around. Um, so, but I think Oklahoma State is a very interesting kind of dark horsey-ish type team to consider with all this. I, I think I agree with you there. Now the issue for me is going to be has the window closed or is it closing? Because you, you, know, you did mention they did it with the down Texas. They did it in a period where Oklahoma, I don't know if you could say they were down, but they weren't quite as up as they were during the two great peaks uh, under Bob Stoops. There's some, some different variables here. On the one hand, I think you have to expect uh, regression from Baylor and Texas Tech on the football field. I don't know what a and going to do, and, and I mentioned those three because those are some primary recruiting territories for the Cowboys. But I think you have to expect probably you know some regression up from Texas, and some of this is going to depend on, and we'll talk about both these coaches, but what your thoughts are on Lincoln Riley and the direction of Oklahoma's program. I, I don't think it's crazy to believe that 20, 2011 – Right, that was the year. Yeah, I don't think it's crazy to believe that 2011 was the best shot Gundy's going to have. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Especially because of the nature of the games that they play too. Like it's so like it it, it becomes this basketball on grass type thing, um, and so it's one of those things where can you count on if you've got a if the way to win a game is to break serve, like if that's how you're winning games. Um, in the Big 12, like, can you continue to uh, essentially serve aces every single game? Can you can you score on, you know, nine of 13 possessions? Can you count on that every single game? Exactly. That, that's going to be tough. Uh, the next coach we'll talk about, his teams generally do play some defense, and that's uh, Jim Harbaugh. I, I guess I'll lead off here since, since you took the first two. I I think I'm going to have Harbaugh pretty high up on my list. Uh, I think he is a really good coach. Um, also, really good at getting attention on himself and the program and deflecting away from you know anything bad within the program. He just puts all the attention on him. I, I think I think a lot of it is a bit of an act, uh, even if he might be a little bit of a weirdo. Uh, but man, the guy can coach now through some strange quirks of him leaving programs at certain times, he's never won a conference title. I don't know if people know that. Wait, but, really? Yeah. Think about it. I don't know. I don't know if I knew that. He, he never won it at Stanford. He went to that one orange bowl as an at large. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, he has not yet won it at Michigan. Now he did win a conference known as the uh, NFC. So I think if you if you want to count that, and I think we should, you know, we're like, hey, it's not a college conference. This is true, but I think the guy showed he can coach in the NFL, and the fact that we know he can recruit very well, 
at the college level, for those reasons, I'm going to have him pretty high up on my list. Now, what I might not have in number one, however, simply because I don't know uh, what's going to happen this year, right? If, you're, if we're picking who's going to be the next guy to win a national title, well, Michigan just lost like most of its entire team. And certainly the guys they have coming back are talented. But man, I, I don't know how that's going to work this year. But Harbaugh winning the NFC in a backhanded way kind of shows that when he needs to, Harbaugh can win multiple elimination football games against like competition, um, you know, in a row. Like he's shown that he can do that, which is something that we don't really know about college coaches until they do it in the playoff, if that makes sense. I don't know. It's kind of a stretch, but it's something. Let's go to the next guy, Clay Hilton. USC Helton. I think I think with Clay Helton, it's it's an inch, it's kind of a slam dunk because if they like everybody and their mother is going to pick him to do it this year. Um, you know they are they run the Pac-12 when they're up. There is absolutely no doubt. Um, they decide who west of the Rockies um, essentially attends USC and who doesn't. Like that, they they can clean up all recruiting territory on that side of the Rocky Mountains, um, and they're USC, and so you can get to take advantage of some of the deficiencies in the Pac-12. Um, you know, UCLA has Josh Rosen and is really talented, obviously, but besides that, in the South, ah, uh, you, know, you can kind of breeze through that side of the conference to a Pac-12 championship game, um. And then you're always going to have the talent to out-talent teams, a lot of teams, in a sense of when you get to the playoff, and we're going to get to this, there are some teams that do not have the talent to match up in a semifinal. And I think that's one of the reasons why these playoff semifinals have been largely trash, um, is because one team doesn't necessarily, they have the talent to get there, they don't necessarily have the talent to win the whole thing. Um, which is something I think you see in a larger scale with like a, a college basketball Cinderella. You know, a 12 seed can get to the Elite Eight, but do they have Final Four talent? Um, you know, and I, I think you see that on a very smaller scale in football. And I think this is something, you know, it's easier to get a shot at the national title in the playoff system. It's more inclusive. More teams are potentially in. But I actually think it's harder for a Cinderella to win it because you have to win back-to-back games against teams that are most likely of equal or greater talent. Yeah, and it's it's. I think that it's that's a playoff uh, thing that I think no one really like saw coming. And then like Michigan State gets blown out, and Washington it was it wasn't a blowout on the scoreboard, but Washington gets absolutely dominated. Um, it's it's something that I don't think we necessarily saw coming. Yeah, and I think you know they lost some key players for that game, but certainly they didn't have the same amount of talent as Alabama. And physically, you know, Alabama, wet, you know, kind of kind of whipped them pretty decently. So again, when you talk about the talent, um, the talent situation, Kirby Smart at Georgia is something where they cleaned up in the recruiting trail, had a really great recruiting class, and are in the what the number three, number four talent rich state in the country. Um, so the talent's going to be there. The I don't necessarily think you have the you don't necessarily have the competition aspect there because you're in the weaker the division in the SEC. Um, 
and you're that's the weakest division in the power five uh statistically by our buddy bill Connolly and his s p um but then obviously you've got alabama so you know it's alabama right you you can this is sort of the washington escaping the pac-12 argument and then having to play the playoff on on a much more micro scale with uh you know you escape the sc east and then you have to go play the west champ which is traditionally one of the best teams in the country I, I i think i have to give kirby smart some chance just because of the amount of talent they're recruiting at georgia but i've yet to see him do anything coaching wise yeah I makes was, me that, think, that's a good point like is there any evidence he's a good coach of that's like, head coach we still don't know if he can coach yeah, no, it was year one, and I get it, it or uh, you know, year zero, as some say. But I, it wasn't like that roster was terrible. They had some, some sort of uh, like inequity as far as one position being stacked, another position being too thin. But it, and they had a freshman quarterback. He's kind of waiting to see for me. I don't know if he's going to make my my uh, my final five. Now, as a preview of someone who I do think will make my final five, let's talk Tom Herman. Oh, Tom Herman. Um, I think Herman, we will talk top fives later, obviously, as you said. Um, Tom Herman's a Texas. Tom Herman kind of seems like a slam dunk here because it's Texas. Can Tom Herman coach a team that has to reload? That's the thing with Tom Herman. If, if Tom doesn't get it in the next two or three years, which I know sounds crazy, if Tom doesn't get it in the next two or three years with a roster that he's walking in that's pretty well stocked, what does a rebuilding slash reloading Tom Herman, how does he manage that? That's the question that I have. I know he comes from the Urban Meyer school of being able to get your team um, up for big games and to play an underdog and all this kind of thing. Um, but how he manages a program and reload is something interesting to think about if Tom doesn't get it with this initial wave of talent. And there's also data that shows that if you don't get it in, a, in I think it's the first five or six years, you're probably not going to get it uh, as far as a national championship is concerned. Yeah, uh, Dabo is clearly the outlier here. I mean, uh, Urban Meyer won his in years two and four at Florida. I think he won it in year two or three at Ohio State. Nick Saban won in years uh, three, three, five, six, and then it was it was it was when were you? Yeah, yeah, it was when will you get your first? Like, if you don't get your first, when will you get it? Exactly. Now, I do think that you presented the, the reload or rebuild thing. I, I do think that Texas is going to recruit well enough, and I think Charlie Strong recruited well enough to where there won't be much of a drop-off when this current group leaves talent-wise. But certainly, will the next group have the same buy-in? At the same time, if we're considering who's going to win their first, I think you're probably looking at like within a three-year period. I, I like his chances to do that. Quite a bit. I mean, the Big 12 is not a very talented league. Uh, your, your research recently showed it's probably the least talented league, uh, especially <laughs> on, on defense. Texas is recruiting some studs on defense. They're going to be able to get stops. And, and Charlie Strong also uh, did that. And, you know, the, the offense was, was a bit of an issue for a while there. 
but man, if Texas can find a quarterback who can do what, what Herman wants to do, and I don't know if, if Shane Bichelle is that guy. I mean, uh, Herman just loves to run the quarterback all day uh, based on, on his clinic talk that I went to earlier this year. You know, with, with him wanting to run the quarterback like that, I guess we'll see. But man, the the, the talent level at Texas – compared to the lack of talent generally in the Big 12, um, the potential instability at Oklahoma, and the fact that we Herman has at least showed for, for two years that, that he is, uh, as far as like coaching coach, I think he's pretty decent. Uh, so those three factors have him pretty high on my list. Yeah, and I, I think Texas is going to be – Texas is obviously a team that we all kind of think, oh, they should be back or when will they be back, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think they are going to really surprise oh, – Lord, I'm painting myself into a corner here. I think they are really going to surprise some people um, with how quick I think he gets them out of the gates, um, kind of just based on who he is personally, um, coaching skill, and then talent on, on that roster. All right, our next guy is – Gus Malzahn, and uh, kind of up and down thoughts on, on this one. I know you have some as well. Uh, it came really close in 2013. I mean, they they got out to a big lead on FSU, uh, held the highest scoring team in college ball history to three points through about 25 minutes, and um, FSU changed up their signals, and they couldn't hold on to the lead. It was, <laughs> there it is. You know, I mean, there it is. Hey, that's on FSU for not for, for getting their signals picked. By the way, I, I don't fault Auburn at that. For, that's smart on Auburn's part, and really dumb of FSU not not to change those up. Um, that was crazy that ESPN's cameras actually caught Kelvin Benjamin telling the coaching staff that. But anyway, uh, but he's been there, and he's been there as a coordinator as well, right? With uh, with, with with Cam Newton back in '09. Yeah, I think we like I think we magically like came to this conclusion that Gus like can't coach or something in like a really weird type of way um, or that he struggles to coach or, or something like that. I, I think the thing with Gus is and it's something that I think we're seeing now is he able to cede control of the offense Um and he ha- looks like he's doing that. Um, I also think they're they're just changing some stuff up schematically with Jared Stidham. They have to. Um, like I, I know that that's an assumption, and you know what happens when we assume. But it, it would be lunacy for Gus not to alter the way they attack based on Jared Stidham's skill set. Like I can't see him not doing that. It just doesn't make sense. If if Jeremy Johnson, let's not say if he had lived up to the hype, but if he had just been a decent quarterback for them, I think we have Gus a lot higher on our list, right? Part of their reason is that, that they've fallen is that they have not had good quarterback play uh, since Nick Marshall, who you know wasn't a great thrower, but in that offense he was extremely dangerous, and I think he might still be in the league as a corner. I mean, an, an elite level athlete there at the position. You're right; they're gonna they're gonna change it up some with uh, Jarrett Stidham, but I I think you have to believe that this is likely going to be Auburn's best quarterback since Cam Newton. I, I believe that as well when Jeremy Johnson was entering that, that year with all the hype and then he kind of, you know, kind of flustered down the stretch, but I, I like Auburn's chances this year. The problem is, is the route they have to take. Right, I mean that that is sort of something we we list as a positive for Texas, 
I like Auburn's talent level. I know they've had a coach that has got him there and, and had him on the brink, and I like their quarterback. And I think he's going to be there for a year or two. But man, that the route that they have to take to get there is is not easy. It's Alabama every year. It's LSU every year. It's Georgia every year. Um, and that's the other thing. It, there, when we talk about cross divisional opponents in the SEC, who do you draw? Um, and they draw Georgia. And we just talked about how talented and good Georgia we think Georgia's going to be um, in the immediate future. So yeah, that kind of puts Gus um, at a disadvantage. But I, I do. I think I buy Gus. I think I probably buy Gus a little bit more than you do. Um, and I think it can work. I, I I'm pretty high on him. I I I think I might surprise you there with, with with the Gus thing. And one of the reasons is this: we talk about about the route that they have to get to the playoff, but you the media has definitely or the the, the committee has shown that they will they will put a, a one loss SEC team in the playoff. Some other conferences too, but definitely out of the SEC. Going back even to the BCS thing, uh, that was very much something that they were willing to do. In addition. I think that at last game of the year, the Alabama win uh, could really be something if they get it that that help helps propel them to the playoff and and, and helps their path. Hey, let's uh, let's pivot now to a guy you're pretty familiar with, uh, Jim McElwain. Oh, Jim McElwain! It's time to make some people mad or happy. I don't know. Um, so McElwain, I think, runs into a bit of the Kirby smart issue of, are we sure he can coach? Um, Now that the, now that Will Muschamp's defense is cycling out of the program, um, this defense uh, is not going to be as good as the previous ones. It's still, I think going to be pretty talented. Um, But the, the Muschamp guys are pretty well cycled out of the program now. So can McIlwain adapt to whatever this new look Florida team is going to be. Um, will Malik Zaire be enough of a plug and play as people think he is? Um, I happen to think Malik Zaire is a pretty good quarterback um, and will work from day one and should probably start day one. Personally, I'll go on record with that. Um, I think you see him at his best at Notre Dame and, um, and you see what he can do. Um, watch the Texas game. Watch a little bit of that Nevada game that he played. Um, the problem with that was those games were in 2015. Um, I do not know what the hell happened to him in 2016. Uh, there is an obvious drop-off in talent. Um, he looks like shook in some of these games they put him in in the third and fourth quarter. Um, no rhythm. The The offense was absolutely better with Deshaun Kaiser, um, and Brian Kelly was right to go with Kaiser long-term based on what we saw on the field, and I assume Brian Kelly saw in practice. Um, but if you give Malik Zaire the keys to this offense with a very good running game with Jordan Scarlett, um, is it something where Zaire can act and play with impunity and really take this Florida team to new heights. Um, That being said, Florida has to play Georgia. They have to play Florida state and then they have to go through an LSU and slash an Alabama slash a whoever. Um, They also get Texas A&M at home this year and they start the season with Michigan who yes, will be reloading, but whatever, it's still Michigan with a lot of talent. So I think Florida's path, if we want to talk about national title for Florida, which is really pie in the sky and, and seems nuts based on the last, you know, 10 years of Florida football. um, Florida has a hell of a road this year 
but as far as the immediate future, who knows? Provided McIlwain can hang on this year, I think a nine and three is probably good enough to hang on. But he's got to look competitive, and the offense has to look like it has a pulse against the Georgia and the Florida States and the LSU of the world. Um, wow, that was a mouthful. But yeah, that's Jim McIlwain. And you know the the new AD didn't hire him there, but I think he's going to give him uh, a decent amount of, of latitude. I think the Florida fan reactions here are kind of all over the board. Some are pretty happy with him. Some are, you know, really kind of underwhelmed with, with the progress of the offense. I, I think that offense will take a step forward this year. I like where their offensive line is going. I think their receivers are improving with, with Callaway and Cleveland. I like Jordan Scarlett a whole lot and have really since I saw him uh, when he was a 14-year-old and just can't keeps getting better, keeps getting better. Now, the question, like you said, is going to be can the offense – Take, is the the offensive step forward going to be large enough to overcome the presumed you know kind of step back on defense? And I think most rational people are going to expect some kind of step back on defense. I don't know. They do get FSU at home this year, which is nice. This might still be the year to get Georgia. They get LSU in, in the swamp. Obviously, they get Michigan early, which if you're going to play this Michigan team, I think is when you want to play them. Who who's their other uh, Western Conference opponent this year? Is it or West? A and M. It's it's A and M in Gainesville. That's right. Okay. I mean, that's a whole lot of home games for Florida, and I don't think there's anybody in the East that really scares you other than perhaps Georgia. Granted, Kentucky will probably be better. You know, it's not crazy. Like they're not going to be like coming from outside the top twenty-five or anything if they do pull it off. Is Zaire a one-year or two-year guy? Zaire, I believe, would be a one-year guy. Oh, well, if he was a two-year, I might feel even better about it. But I, I don't think McIlwain is that nuts of, of a of a candidate to to have somewhat high up on your list. But like you said, path matters, and you have to go. They're the one team in the SEC that has to go through the traditional SEC stuff and that has to play Florida State, which you know has recently won uh, a national title as well. Richard. Uh, we were going kind of in alphabetical order by last name. We forgot somebody. It's Brian Kelly. No, oh, we did. Yeah. Our, uh, what do you think about Brian Kelly? I mean, you want to talk about path. Like, that's where that's where I get with Brian Kelly more than anything else. Um, maybe more than anything else besides the fact that Notre Dame, while still being Notre Dame, it is is not and never will be the Notre Dame that we um, that that you grew up with, I should say, because I didn't even grow up with that Notre Dame. Um, the the thing with Notre Dame comes down to path more than I think any other team on here, because the path isn't necessarily it is hard, but it's not necessarily as hard as it is like weird, because. So you've got the – it's five ACC games they play, right? Uh, yes, five every year. So you've got the five rotating ACC games, which means you may draw a Florida State, a North Carolina, a Miami, um, you know, any any of those two hitters. Um, then you've got a Stanford pretty much every year. But then you've got the service academies, which is this weird, like – this weird curveball that's in Notre Dame's schedule every year that I think we really discount. Like they play service academies at weird times in the year in weird places. Like they play Navy in Jacksonville last year. Like it, it, 
the service academies throw this weird wrench into Notre Dame's schedule that I don't think we talk about enough. Um, and I think it makes Notre Dame – it makes Notre Dame's uh, place in the national landscape prominent because what they are. But as far as a national championship goes in general, is that tenable? Um, and then you combine that with the expectations at Notre Dame. Is the job even tenable for someone to stay at long term? Um, and we kind of know how Brian Kelly is anyway, personably. And so that's kind of weird. And they're turning over like the entire coaching staff this year anyway. So it, it becomes weird for Notre Dame. But then again, all those, you know, those losses last year that we make so much fun of, those were all a lot of one score games. And you assume that the tide would turn on that next season. Um, but is it a nine and three tide turn or is it a 12 and one? Do you know what all the national champions basically since you've been an adult or since like since you've been in middle school have had in common? Do they not. Incredible defensive linemen. Oh, okay. I think Notre Dame's offense is going to bounce back in a big way because I have a lot of confidence in Brandon Wimbush. I, I think Brian Kelly is a damn good offensive coach. They've really not had that many good defenses under him at Notre Dame. Typically the offense has carried them. That was also his pattern at Cincinnati. That that one year that they went to the national championship game to get stomped by the Tide, they did have a really good defense. And I don't think that was all luck or schedule. I think they legitimately had a lot of good players on that defense. What I don't see Notre Dame getting enough of from a recruiting standpoint is those impact defensive linemen that you see a Bama or a Clemson or you know a lot of other national elite teams. They sign those. They have to get more of those or they have to really develop the ones they have and hope that they stay healthy because I don't think there's a whole lot of depth of talent there on the defensive side of the football. But if they do get them, I don't think Kelly's a bad coach. Certainly, I think he you know, comes off as kind of standoffish at times, to put it lightly. Uh, but I, I can't totally count them out. So if you told me, hey, bud, he won a national title in the next three years, I, I wouldn't be totally shocked. He wouldn't be my top pick, though. Yeah, and I, I think at the end of the day, like it is it, – it is still Notre Dame, despite everything, like I just said about Notre Dame. Like, I think it is still Notre Dame, um, and I think you're right. But I do wonder, um, are these assistant coaches plug and play? What, what does it look like for these this current crop of assistants? Um, how do they gel? How do they mesh together one-to-one uh, on a staff? And then how do they motivate this team to play um, is something that we're going to have to see with Notre Dame. By the way, that defensive line analysis uh, also applies to Penn State. I talked talk to somebody who knows Penn State really well, and he thinks that offense is going to just murder people this year. Uh, but the defense, he's not sure that they have enough impact defenders. And I was picking his brain, and I said, how many people on Penn State's defense do you think would start an Ohio State's defense? And he thought there was one guy. Which, wow, is, that's quite the disparity. Uh, I, I have that in the back of my mind. So, next guy on our list, Ed Orgeron. I I am going to be so I'm going to be so bullish about Ed Orgeron in a spot that is going to paint me into this ridiculous corner because I think that LSU is correct in giving him the Dabo Sweeney uh, framework, which is you've got a a vivacious colorful interesting guy as head coach as the head of your program the front facing uh 
guy of your program and a guy that can recruit on his own merits. Now spend the money to give him incredible coordinators. Now drop him in a top five talent state with good recruiters on staff um, and then give him the historical cachet that LSU has. Yes, the path is what it is. You draw Florida every year. Um, you have to play Alabama, Auburn, SEC West. I get it. Whatever. I I will buy Ed Orgeron and LSU winning a national title, honestly, in five years. Swear to you. In five if years, they keep I, this I staff. If yeah. they keep this staff. I don't know if they're going to be able to. I, I, okay, I'm going to go negative then because you went really positive. Number one. They have to play at Florida in back-to-back years because of that whole schedule thing this past year. Number two, like you mentioned, if they keep the staff. I don't know if it's realistic for them to actually keep that staff, right? I mean, this is those are going to be some hot coaching candidates, man. It, well, the one thing it doesn't – it doesn't seem like Aranda is a head coaching guy. It, like, Aranda strikes me as more of a Brent Venables. Okay, and plus defensive coordinators are – they have a they have a harder time than uh, than offensive coordinators do getting hired. It seems. I also don't know if they had the national championship coordinator on their roster like immediately or not coordinator but but quarterback on their roster right this minute. Maybe Miles Brennan develops into that. I want to see what 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 Narcisse does after after the other knee injury that he suffered. Unfortunately, the path is tough. Orgeron's only head coaching stop where he was actually the head coach and got to run the program, not just kind of be the steward of the team for, you know, for five months, uh, did not go well. Now that was a long time ago. And I understand that, but he's, you know, just as unproven as a head coach as Kirby smart is. I th- yeah, I, I think it's true. But I think the one thing with LSU though, is we've seen them damn near beat Alabama. Like, that's the thing. Like, I don't think Alabama has this mystique. Um, I, I don't think I don't think Alabama has this mystique for LSU that it does for other teams. Yes, it's been a while since LSU beat Alabama. I get that. But LSU, especially like a, a game like last year, like LSU came like you see the margin is so thin. They in lose, those but games. they're not afraid. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. you see what they need and how close they are. I, I agree with that. If you said, okay, which of these coaches would win one in the next five years, I can totally get on board. I just don't know if it's going to happen in the next two or three, which is kind of making me wonder if I'm going to put him on my final list because the, the, the you know the urgency of this list. The other thing, next year, 2018, they open with Miami, uh, and I think Miami will be pretty good in 2018. And then 2019 and 2020, uh, they're at Texas, and then they host Texas. So in addition to all those difficult SEC West games and Florida, uh, they have a pretty challenging non-conference schedule. I, I'll, I'll throw this out there. I think at least once in the next three years, we're going to be calling LSU the best two-loss team in America. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's an interesting look, and I think it, you know, I think it makes sense. But hey, they won a national title with two losses before. This is true. Uh, This is very true. Uh, Hey, Richard, got one for you here who I think you are very high on. I am as well. Chris Peterson, Washington. Yeah, because I think, like, more than anything else, I think Chris Peterson can just outcoach, like, a lot of guys. Um, And I think that can get him to the dance. Now, can you win the whole thing? 
is something that is uh, we saw what it takes for Washington and kind of how far off they are in 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 a sense of elite talent. Um, but on the other hand, Washington's a place that you can recruit NFL talent to. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian showed that you can get really good talent in Washington. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know about Peterson. Um, I don't know if I can say Washington will win a title really soon, but I know that I really like Coach Peterson and what he does. I, I think if Washington has one more recruiting year, like last year, then I, I'm going to strongly consider having him in my top group because I do think Chris Peterson's one of the absolute best like game coaches and preparation guys in the country. It, it, I think it shows in the number of games that he has won when he's at a talent disadvantage. And I'm the blue chip guy, right? You got to have a certain amount of talent to win a national title. And I don't, I'm not going to go back on that theory. If I had to pick a coach to bust through and win it, maybe without the requisite number of blue chips that you've needed to win for well over a decade now, Chris Peterson would be very high on my list. And you're right. You can get talent there. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's all there right now, that they have to continue recruiting and stack elite class on top of elite class. But I really like the class they just signed. I like the class they have coming in, assuming they can hold on to both quarterbacks, Sermon and Yankoff. Uh, And that, you know, hey, if you get two blue chip quarterbacks, I trust Chris Peterson to to make one of them into a star. Um, So I I think you got to trust him a, a pretty good bit. Yeah, I was going to I was literally just about to say, like, we trust Peterson. Do you trust Mark Richt? Which I think was the exact same thing you were going to say. Yes, that is, that is exactly what I was going to say. Uh, and my answer is sort of. Yeah, I, I trust Mark Richt to have a national championship caliber team at Georgia. Because I know that he's done it a couple times. He just had some some really poor luck in running into like really elite level teams for instance the 20 uh 2012 game right where alabama beats notre dame georgia was the second best team in the country that year and i think in many other years may have been the best team in the country you had the 07 year in which georgia had a really good team and and lost to south carolina and got knocked out but they that was a really high quality team i think his 02 team uh, if, if I'm recalling right, and Georgia fans can correct me if they want to, may have also been a national championship caliber uh, type team. He's had really elite level teams before, and you kind of just have to keep putting them out, rolling the ball out there, and then hope that one of them catches. I think he can do that at Miami. Miami is showing some signs now that they're willing to invest in a program that they really hadn't previously at all under Al Golden. I mean, the money just wasn't there. They're going to build an indoor facility at some point. The recruiting is going very well. Uh, you know, they, they made some, I think, some very good improvements to that stadium. Now, Rick's a little bit older, and it's kind of rare for a coach his age to win his first national title. Uh, but it's possible. I, I can't can't write it off. Well, yeah, and I think that Miami, I think Miami under Rick will be a very very interesting test case in a sense of if if he can very quickly revive Miami's kind of image and staying power um, on the national scale can he, can he get that out of you know out of the doldrums um, quickly i think the one thing he has got to do is beat florida state i, I he's i think if he does that 
maybe this year, maybe next year, I think Miami will really and truly kind of be off to the races if they can get Florida State. Because at the end of the day, in all these recruiting ranking or all these recruiting battles that they have with these kids, Florida State has the trump card of you haven't beaten us since, you know, and that is so hard and so tough in this microcosm environment that we have in Florida. Yeah, it's it's just tough. It's tough to go out on the recruiting trail having not beaten Florida since or Florida State um, since these kids were, you know, how old? I, I know you know it off the top of your head. And, you know, it's just it's hard. Yeah, I think they were I think they're elementary school, um, if, if I recall, but maybe, uh, maybe fourth or fifth grade. They're moving in the right direction. The question I think we all have is peak, right? Can he get to that very top level? I don't think anybody's questioning that he's an upgrade over Al Golden. Uh, next guy, a, a, a big unknown, maybe a bigger unknown than Kirby Smart was, and that's Lincoln Riley, who would not have been on this list uh, last week, but now is because Bob Stoops has retired. Uh, my dog is flipping out about that rain that we discussed, and uh, sorry about that. I hope that isn't too loud on the microphone. Yeah, it's. I think with Lincoln Riley, I think they have got to show that they will protect him with really good assistance. Um, I, the, my jury on Lincoln Riley is very, very out. Um, I got to see. I got to see what they do with with assistance, um, and kind of see how that works and, and how that all plays. I totally agree with that. Question I have, and I wrote about this. Oklahoma has had pretty good talent of late. I think they've been right on the cusp of having national championship talent, but I don't think they've actually been kind of over that threshold, right? They need to do another class like they just signed, which was really, really good. The problem is last year's class came on the heels of real, like true coaching uncertainty at both Texas A&M and Texas, which is obviously the recruiting hotbed for the Sooners. I don't think that situation is going to last, right? Texas is improving on the recruiting trail under Tom Herman. For as well as they recruited under Charlie Strong, they're going to do better under Herman. I think early returns indicate that. A&M is either going to get better under Kevin Sumlin or is going to get a new coach who will bring new excitement and new hype and, and you know give new promises out that kids always buy into under the new coach. Oklahoma's recruiting under Lincoln Riley could get better because I think he's a pretty energetic guy, and there's always possibility of that. But Lincoln Riley is going to face a tougher recruiting road uh, going forward than Bob Stoops faced in the previous two years. The encouraging thing is that since he's been on staff, he knows some of these relationships. I think he, it, it, I do think there's a benefit to having been on a staff, uh, kind of like Jimbo Fisher was, because you understand, okay, I might have to keep these guys for the first year. But now I've got two years of track record with these dudes, and I know exactly who I want to fire and quickly, and then who I want to bring in to make my, to make my staff truly elite. I think there's a real shot. Also, I, I think that Stoops leaving when he did, giving Riley the year of Baker Mayfield, is going to help them show some, some good success on the field this year. They should have another pretty good year, which will help them on the recruiting trail, maybe get a higher level of talent. But it's such an unknown with, with, with his coaching ability. I mean, he this is his first head coaching gig. Yeah, I think that like they might very well win the Big Twelve this year, and we will literally learn nothing about about like who Lincoln Riley is, what kind of coach he is. Like we'll know nothing, and they may go eleven and two. You know what I mean? Exactly right, and I think that's that's a hell of a year for them 
to maintain, right? If, if Riley can just show that. Uh, the one, the, the other thing with Riley is, does this become a, does this become a Larry Coker situation where they have so much success in year one and year two that then nine and three, eight and four becomes unacceptable in year three, year four. And then plus that, plus you are, are you know still under the specter, you're following the guy. And you never want to follow the guy. You want to be the guy that follows the guy. Um, you know, because if he loses two home games, all hell is going to break loose in Oklahoma. You know what I mean? Uh, considering Stoops only lost, what, eight or nine in his entire career? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> in 20 years. Yeah. I, I haven't looked at their future schedule, but that, that's something you know we did for LSU uh, Ohio State's going to rotate off the schedule after this year. I don't know who else they have. They've been pretty aggressive about scheduling, certainly. But uh, let's talk about another Riley here, and, and this is something that uh, you know some people may say shouldn't belong on here, but I know Nebraska fans are very excited about the recruiting that Mike Riley is doing. I, I, we don't have to go super long on this, but do you think Riley belongs on this list? Do you think he has a legitimate shot to win a national title in Nebraska? No, I thought this was a typo. <laughs> like it's like it's just like I'm sorry. Like they're going to recruit California fairly well. Um, they've shown that they can rec- recruit California fairly well. Um, bully for you, but it's just I, I don't see it. I, I don't see it with Nebraska. Nebraska is not and has like it's not like Nebraska isn't the brand that they, it's not like it's a Miami situation where they like haven't been a brand and they recently have kind of lost their brand thing. Nebraska hasn't been a brand in like 15 years. All right. And and that's just, that's just what it is. I am 24 years old. I don't remember anything about Nebraska playing elite college football. I just don't. Maybe they can like reinvent weightlifting like they did uh, back in the day to where like they were the only program like lifting heavy weights uh, or putting football players on swimming scholarships or any of the other, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the prop eight stuff. No more partial qualifiers. Yeah. Mm. Hey, but they got that big 10 money. That's, you know, they, they, they took the check. It happens. It's true. But I, I, I still think Nebraska, Nebraska still has this super weird thing where they're recruiting against all the big 12 schools and the PAC 12 schools. And they're in the big 10. Like, you can't promise mom a home game in California. And that's just tough. Right. It, because there's no talent in the state. It, it's just – and when you were in the Big 12, you could recruit Texas a little more uh, than they have been. You know, the JUCO stuff was a little bit easier back, back then as well. I, I agree with you. I give him uh, about zero chance to win a national title at Nebraska. Um, let's just move on. <laughs> David Shaw, Stanford. I, I I am and always will be bullish on David Shaw. Um, I, I think that I, the one thing, one thing with David Shaw is he's got to open up that offense a little bit. Um, but I do think they are they have shown that they with Davis Mills can get the quarterback that allows them to do that. Um, I think part of the reason why things haven't necessarily been open offensively is because of quarterback. Uh, and I don't want to say deficiencies, but just quarterbacks that ne- don't necessarily have elite level talent. Um, I, I kind of trust David Shaw to 
to open up the offense enough to let a quarterback shine. And with the offensive line that Stanford recruits and the way they coach their offensive line, um, I think you've got a thing where, you know, you let a talented quarterback just drop back and, and sit there for a year and a half. Um, you could do some special things. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I mean, look at where some of their recent quarterbacks are. It's not the NFL. That's a pro-style offense. It does work a lot better with a kid who can really chuck it. I think Davis Mills is that guy, by the way. Uh, not Maybe not this year, but going forward, I think he's one of the better uh, throwers of the football that I've seen in quite a while out of the Atlanta area. They signed him in this most recent class. Stanford also has the ability to do something that some of the other programs on this list don't do, and that's sign elite-level linemen, both on, on, uh, on offense to a greater extent, but also somewhat on defense. What they've not had a whole lot, despite the Richard Sherman thing, they've not had a whole lot of like great DBs. And and with not having a lot of great DBs, that, that becomes a problem because you are going to face some spread teams. We know that Willie Taggart's going to spread it out of Oregon. They're going to take that Gulf Coast offense up there. We know that Washington has the capability to spread you out. We know that the teams in, in the South can generally throw the football pretty well uh, both the Arizona schools, to the extent that those coaches will still be there next year, and I, I don't know if either of them will, uh, they like to spread it out. Defensive back recruiting is is one of the main areas that, that I, I see with Stanford that might hold them back, along with some of the in-game management with, with, with Shaw. I think he's a tremendous developer of talent. Right? I think the guy's a really good like fundamentals coach. You don't see Stanford beat themselves very often. I think they're very well coached in that regard. Some of the over-conservatism on offense and playing like he has the 85 Bears defense at his back uh, <laughs> is, you know, is a little bit troubling. Uh, and I think that if you play at such a slow pace as Stanford does, you have to maximize what you get out of each and every possession. Uh, so not punting from the 35 would make me even more bullish on him. But I think if Stanford can keep recruiting like he did last year, uh, it's certainly possible that they could do it. I do want to see how that early signing day is going to affect them, though. Yeah, I do think, though, that Stanford has this interesting thing where because of the way they recruit the trenches, I think you can kind of... It, 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 we talked about elite defensive linemen earlier. If you can get those elite defensive linemen in the building, I think you the one thing you do is you mitigate um, you mitigate a defensive backfield that may necessarily not be elite um, or not stellar. But the other thing you do is you kind of zig where the rest of your conference is zagging. You know, besides like USC, um, like in a sense of you just have better guys. And so when we talk about pathways to the dance. I think you can get to a playoff because you can just beat teams in that conference over the heads, so to speak, a lot of them. Um, and then when you get to the dance, you've got uh, maybe you've got an LSU or you've got an Alabama or you've got an Ohio State, and you can kind of match up with them um, in a sense of being one-to-one -one with their greatest strength, which is big guys that are better than your big guys. Exactly. Now – Let's pivot real quickly here to another guy that I think we're both pretty high on, Willie Taggart at Oregon. Yeah, I, I, I love the the biggest reason why I love Willie Taggart at Oregon is because he is not he's not going to change the culture of Oregon. Like they were able to find a guy that is going to still bring speed into the program. It's going to be a different kind of speed because it's going to be Florida speed. Um, 
but it's still speed. And I think that, so it's, it's not this giant square peg round hole thing, um, with Willie. I think he can bring the talent, uh, and the type of talent that that fan base is accustomed to already. I, in talking to some sources there, I think their offense is going to beat him down immediately. I think that defense does need a year or two of recruiting to rebuild. And that's always been the struggle at Oregon is, is the ability to recruit enough defensive players. But I think, I think Willie Taggart is the best recruiter Oregon has had. I don't want to say ever, but maybe ever like Chip Kelly was a good recruiter, but he really didn't enjoy doing it. And, you know, kind of got sloppy and got a little bit of trouble uh, <laughs> there for a minute. <laughs> uh, Mark Helfrich was not a good recruiter at all. And I think that is something you're going to see on the field this year, particularly on the defensive side of the football with the roster that Taggart takes over. Uh, but he's proven himself to be a very good coach at two stops, Western Kentucky and USF. I think it's a very good jump for him, one that he can handle. The problem I think that he might encounter here is that when Oregon was really good, they didn't really face quite the level of Stanford Washington combo that Willie has to, or that, that, that you know Willie Taggart has to face now that he's at Oregon, right? This is this is tough. A lot tougher, I think, recruiting wise than what Oregon faced when it was building up to those Mariota years. Can he overcome both those schools on a recruiting trail in a region of the country? Like, look, I didn't go to the Seattle opening regional this year or the Oakland one because so many of the Oakland kids went down to L.A. and I was like, you know what? I don't really need to go to the Pacific Northwest because if there's somebody decent, Nike will invite them anyway to the opening just because they, they want to show some some regional fairness. There's not much talent up that way. There's some in Seattle, but for the most part, there's not a whole lot of good football players in that region. They have to go out of state, and it's just not easy to do that. So I, I'm bullish on Willie Taggart winning a national title. I don't know how quickly he can do it, and I do kind of wonder, will it be at Oregon? You know, is, is What if he gets a, gets a job offer for one of the big-time Southeastern jobs? Does he jump? I don't know. I don't know how much he likes Oregon right now. I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm just saying I haven't talked to him. I don't know. Most of his career has been made in the Southeast, though, and I know that's where his best recruiting contacts are. Yeah, and if that's and obviously that's where the talent is, um, you know, is he going to? I wonder if he's obviously every school's got institutional politics, but is he going to be able to play, or is he going to like to play the the specific type of institutional politics that Oregon has to deal with? And that is obviously Uncle Phil, but that is also a sense of. Uh, institutional longevity there are a lot of people at oregon that have been there a long long time um and so the thing of so oregon's had this long-term continuity um as a program and i wrote about this on sbnation.com um right around when it looked like uh mark helfrich's tenure was really getting precarious like there's just a ton of continuity at Oregon. Continuity is fine when you're good, but it's not when you're not. And so it's a situation of, you know, Willie is going to come in here and kind of shake the tree of the establishment at Oregon. Um, how is that going to play? And it, it, are those Oregon politics, is that going to weigh on him uh, going forward if they're not ultra, ultra successful and someone from the South comes calling? I, I agree with that. That's 16, man. We, we got through all of them. Yeah. You want yeah. To, let's uh 
let's go back and forth rotating. I'll give my number one, uh, and that is Clay Helton. Yeah, same, same. My my number one is Clay Helton. Um, it's USC. Okay. Uh, my number two is Jim Harbaugh. I think that they're going to be really good in 2018. Ooh, man, I don't I don't even have Harbaugh on my list. Um, I went Orgeron. Um, I think with I, obviously I've said what I said about Orgeron. I think with Harbaugh, it's interesting to see if they you know obviously if they don't reload quickly year one this year or next year, um, will somebody else kind of beat him to the punch, obviously. Um, and the other thing is, as Harbaugh gets to year four, year five at Michigan, is he going to start to wear on Michigan folks in the way that he did in San Francisco? That's a, that's a really good question. I mean, he, he's kind of worn on people wherever he's been. Uh, who it, Who is your uh, number two? My number two is Orgeron. Excuse me, uh, my bad. Uh, who's your number three, I meant? My number three is David Shaw. Okay, I have Shaw fourth. Uh, I have Tom Herman as my third. Third, yeah. I have Tom Herman fourth. Okay, so so far our list, uh, three or four are common. Uh, I tell you, my, my number five was tough. I, I, I debated between two guys, and I really couldn't make up my mind here. Uh, I... I went Gus Malzahn at five. Oh, really? Yeah, just because I, I really think that Stidham is, is a really good talent, and I like the talent that Auburn has at other positions. And I feel like they are a team that if they beat Bama, they're almost certainly going to get to the playoff unless they're some kind of like three-loss deal. And because of the cachet that the SEC still seems to carry with all these ESPN, FBI, or uh, F. PI, whatever it is, uh, metrics that the committee likes to cite, <laughs> they could potentially lose to Bama and go as like an 11-1 non-conference champ, right? I, I, I think, for me, it was between him and Chris Peterson, and you can really flip a coin there. Uh, who who was your five? I, I thought it was easy, Taggart. I thought it was easy, Taggart. Um, but, you know, it's going to be a challenge for him to recruit the way that they want to recruit. But I think he is up to that challenge with his contacts. Um, and like I said, the, the, the fit, the culture fit is there from a scheme perspective. We'll see about the institutional politics if they don't win. Like I said, um, but I am, I'm big on Willie. So I think this would be an interesting question and we don't really have time on this episode to, to do it. But if the question was instead of who's going to win their first national championship, like who will be the next coach to do it, which is what we asked. But instead, what if we asked, which coach are you most confident in will win a national championship in their career? Yeah, like who will absolutely, like who is going to win one? Right, and with that, I feel like you have to factor in things like age. Uh, and you, you would probably have guys like Willie Taggart, who's you know pretty young, uh, and I think there's a chance he can win one of the Oregon. I just don't like his chance in the next two years because I don't think they have much defensive talent. Yeah, I think if I had to go, who will absolutely unequivocally win a national championship in his tenure? I, I honestly think it's Jim Harbaugh. Um, yeah, I like Harbaugh because, high up. Yeah, because let's say it doesn't work out at Michigan and he goes somewhere else in the college ranks. Like, he, he's going to coach. He's going to win. Like, he's going to win. Yeah, I I think maybe Herman too, um, as, or excuse me, not not as well, but Herman might be my number two on that list if I had to pick guys who I'm very confident will get one sometime in their careers. But as far as who will be the next to win one, 
uh, I think our lists here are, are pretty similar. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, man. Uh, hey, for those of y'all who've listened to the whole thing, we really appreciate it. Uh, Skype has been giving us this weird thing where we have to hang up and call each other back every five minutes. I'm going to edit this to the best of my abilities. I hope it's not too choppy. Uh, I'm not a professional editor, professional uh, recruiting analyst, a little different. If you guys know of an actual way to make Skype stop dropping the call every five minutes, not just, hey, Google, I found this Google result, but like if you've encountered this problem and have, have whipped it, please email me. It's bud.elliot, that's two L's and two T's, at espionation.com. I'd love to be able to just uh, hit call uh, one time as opposed to looks like 10 times here uh, with Richard <laughs> over the course of this uh, podcast. So definitely uh, enjoy Richard and appreciate you coming on and doing this. I think it was kind of a decent off season topic and uh, hope this, this product turns out pretty good. Absolutely. Good looking out, bud. All right, man. I'll see you in Slack.